Okay, well, we're lesson 12 and 13. We're going to start with 12. And what will happen is when we get to the end of lesson 12, we'll have to take about a two-minute break because I have to take this thing off here and put the other one on, the slides. So we'll be able to do that as well. You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1 just as a starting place. And what I tried to do as much as possible to put the verses on the slides so you won't have to be turning a lot of places tonight. And let me just, let's just do this. We, we started off dealing with salvation and all those issues. We dealt with the Christian life and those issues. And now we're looking at the truths, of the, of the, the truths about Jesus Christ. And this is where we are. And in this lesson, and we're thinking, talking about the ministry of Jesus both in our lives, both what he is doing in heaven and what he's doing on earth. That's what this lesson is about. So where is he and what's he doing? That's sort of the things. This drawing right here is going to be primarily for lesson uh, 13, okay? So we'll see that in just a little bit, but there's, there's still information about that now. So let's think about Jesus Christ for a second. He is the eternal Son of God. He's always existed. He's one with the Father. When you think about the truths about the Holy Spirit, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father's always there. The Son's always there. And what is so amazing, when we think about Jesus and when people say things like, well, Jesus came to the earth and all that, and some people don't grasp that Jesus always existed. Jesus is the eternal Son of God that a point in time in history, left the glories of heaven, came to the earth. So we've got the verse right there for you if you see it in your outline. Micah 5, 2 says, His goings forth are from all eternity. So Jesus Christ didn't, ex didn't start to exist. Some people say when they hear that Jesus is the Son of God, they think somehow God the Father existed and a point in time in history somehow God had, God had, a, had a Son. That's not true. The Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit have always existed, one God in three persons for all time. Micah 5, 2 says, His goings forth are from all eternity. In John 1, 1, most of you know John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, In the beginning, it's the eternal beginning. He's always there. Now, John 1, 14 says, and the Word became flesh. So at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and became a person. So when he came to the earth, what people don't always grasp is he, he has always existed. He came down and he's going back. So look at this verse right here. He says, I came forth from the Father and I've come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going back to the Father. See, some people actually teach that Jesus be, actually started when he was born. Jesus has always, 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 did, did you, you turned on the thing back there, right? Okay, gotcha, okay. Jesus has always existed. So we're going to look at this ministry of where is Jesus and what's he doing. So if you look on your outline there, it says, here's, number one is, where is Jesus now? And number two is, what is Jesus doing now? And we'll fill it all in and we'll get it all put together and just uh, just a little bit, and there's so much. Where is he, and what is he doing? So here's the question, and we could raise this question. Where is Jesus now? Uh, let me give you a chance to write it. You got it written? Where, where is Jesus? What's he doing now? So where is Jesus now? And if you notice, I've got some verses under there, but think about this. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose from the grave. And I've got this on this chart. You remember, he came to the earth, died on the cross. This is his first coming. Came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, walked on the earth for how long? 40 days, okay, 40 days, and then ascended into heaven. So when we start raising this question, where is Jesus now? We'd say, well, he's in the heavenly places. And he gave a charge to the believers before he left that you shall be my witnesses and all these things. The Bible actually tells us in Zechariah chapter 14 that when Jesus left from the Mount of Olives, he's going to come back 
to the Mount of Olives. So when we start thinking about where is he, what is he doing, what's going on, the book of Hebrews, and I put, if you notice, where is he now, I put a number of verses from the book of Hebrews because it tells us where is Jesus now. He is seating, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So I want you to think about that. In the heavenly places, there is some kind of throne, there's something, and where is Jesus? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Look at the verses. Hebrews 1.3 basically says, after he paid the price for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now let me ask you a question. Why did he sit down at the right hand of the Father? Because the work was finished. You remember he's the great high priest, and in the temple... In the earthly temple, the priests never sat down because they continually offered sacrifices over and over and over again, and they never finished. When Jesus died on the cross, what was his words? It is finished. We saw that last time. And when he died on the cross, he paid for sin, and then he sat down. So basically, after he paid the price for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Hebrews 1.13 says, He is sitting at the right hand, waiting until the enemies are, his footst are, are the footstool. In other words, there's going to be a time that he's going to come to rule and reign and power and justice, and he's not doing that yet. That's going to be here. That's going to be in this kingdom. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Jesus died and rose again. He's in the heavenly places. One of these days, he's coming to rule and reign in righteousness and justice. Hebrews 10, 12 says, After he had offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So once again, the work is finished. He's done it all. I wanted to throw this uh, out. He's, wh what's, what's going to be the next event? You know, For us, he's going to come get us. But what, when he came the first time, what did he offer himself to the nation of Israel as? The king of the Jews. They rejected him. When he comes a second time, is he offering himself as the king of the Jews? No, he's coming as the king of the Jews. Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven open on a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. I just wanted to throw that out to you because there's going to come a time that he is coming there. Hebrews 12.2, it says, when we run the race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and has, same, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Four places in the book of Hebrews tells us that he has finished the work and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, it makes sense that the book of Hebrews would do that because the book of Hebrews shows Jesus as the great high priest who offered the final sacrifice forever. So where is Jesus now? Where is he? He's right hand of the throne of the Father. Okay, now the next thing is, as we're thinking about that, is what about his position? What about what's going on? And, and here's what we have. First of all, Jesus is in the heavenly places. Now, so you can write that in, but I want you to understand that when the Bible talks about heaven and earth, uh, even though sometimes our Bibles say heaven and earth, uh, heaven is always plural. It's the heavens, the heavenly places. It's always plural. We know that in the scripture that there's at least three heavens because Paul writes in Corinthians that he was caught up into the what? The third heaven. So there's a first heaven, a second heaven, a third heaven. We think the third heaven, first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heavens is where the angels and things dwell. And the third heaven is where God dwells. When, where is Jesus right now? See, the right hand of the throne of the Father. He is in the heavenly places. Look at this verse. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is passed through the what? 
through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast, fast our profession. Hebrews 4, uh, 4.14 talks about that. So that, that's where he is. He is he's uh, in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.20 basically says that which he brought about in Christ, talking about what God did, when he raised him from the dead and seated him where? At his right hand, where? In the heavenly places. Now, I want you to remember that where Jesus is, because he's in the heavenly places. In a little bit, I'm going to ask you where you are, okay? We'll find out where we are, okay? So the first thing we see is he's in the heavenly places. The second thing that we see is Jesus is highly exalted. Now, I want you to think about that. Philippians 2.9 says, For this reason God is highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. If you remember the verses that before that, it says, Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Although he was equal with God, he didn't think it was something he had to hold on to, but he emptied himself, becoming the form of a servant, becoming in the likeness of men, and then he humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Jesus came and died for us on the cross to pay for our sins, and because of that, God then took him and highly exalted him. He is above everything. He, he, he bestowed on him a name that is above every name. What is his name? What is his name? It's the, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means deity. Jesus means Savior. Christ means the anointed one of God. That's who he is. He is that amazing one. He is the name above all names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's every knee. That's not just believers. There's going to come a time because who Jesus is and that he is highly exhausted, uh, exalted. He is exhausted. Probably he was exhausted after that. But he is highly exalted that every knee, every human being will one day stand and bow before him. Hebrews 7.26 says, it, is, it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So even though we have to go fast tonight, and I'm not going to go into all the details we might go into, just think about who he is. He is the one who died and rose again. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He is highly exalted. He is in the heavenly places, and he is highly, highly exalted. Okay, the third thing, and this is my, uh, one of my favorite aspects of it. He continues as the anointed one of God. He continues as the anointed one of God. Now, I want to remind you of something. Who was anointed in the Old Testament? Priests were anointed. Prophets were anointed and kings were anointed. We saw Samuel was anointed, David was anointed, Saul was anointed, the different prophets and priests and all, that. they were all anointed. Now, nobody had all three offices. There was nobody who was a prophet and a priest and a king. Samuel, Samuel had some offices. That, uh, there were some people who was a, a prophet, a, a priest and a, and a king, but not a prophet, priest, and king. The Bible talks about the anointed one of God. Now, anointed means to, to have oil. What it really means is that it, oil was poured over your head. It's symbolic of the power of God coming upon a person for a particular thing. Now, Jesus, the Messiah, is called the anointed one. There is the Lord Jesus Christ, Christos. The Greek word Christos means anointed one. When you say Jesus the Messiah, Mashiach, the Hebrew word means anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ or Jesus Mashiach, 
that you're saying Jesus is the anointed one of God. Now, they had, uh, let me go back. He had the office of the prophet, priest, and king. He's the only one that is the prophet, priest, and king. I like to, to think about this. Uh, he's the prophet who not only spoke the word of God, he is the word of God. He's the priest who not only offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin, but he lives forever to make intercession for us. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords who will rule in righteousness and justice. If I were you, I would write down prophet, priest, and king, and I would say to myself, wow, here's Jesus, the anointed one of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the prophet who is the word of God, speaks the word of God, the priest who offered himself a sacrifice, the one who lives forever and makes intercession, the one who is the king. Because those three offices, they are powerful. And that's who he is. So I want you to think about this. Uh, before I flip this next thing, you realize this is the first coming, right? And this is the second coming. And then here's coming in the clouds. And I want you to think about this. From, for his first coming in the prophet. As he would come in, he came as the word of God. In the heavens, he's the priest. His second coming, he's the king. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. So he is in the heavenly places. He is highly exalted, and he is the anointed one of God. So that's, first of all, where is Jesus? And, and based on where he is, what, what's he like? Well, he is highly exalted in the heavenly places, the anointed one of God. That takes us to something that's really a lot more fun because we already say, okay, who is he? he he's the anointed one of God. He's the, the prophet, priest, and king. He's the savior of the world. He's the one seated in the heavenly places. He's the one that's highly exalted above every name. The second part is what is he doing now? Okay, what is he doing now? And we're going to look at two things. What is he doing in heaven? You ever thought about it? Do you think he's just sitting there? We know he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, but do you think he's just sitting there and going, I'm just sort of waiting? No. What's he doing now? And then, what's he doing on earth now? Because is he omnipresent? Now, does that make sense? Is he there and here at the same time? And he's in you? It makes sense? It, it doesn't to me. <laughs> I mean, it's beyond comprehension to me. How can he be everywhere at one time? But he is, because he's God. And so he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. He's doing things in heaven, but he's also doing things on the earth. So let's start with in, in heaven. What's he doing in heaven? I want you to write these four things down, and then we'll go into the details of them. Here's what he's doing in heaven. He is the head of the church. He is preparing a home for us. He is our great high priest, and he is seated, he's seated believers in the heavens. So write, write them down. First of all, he's the head of the church. We'll go into details in just a second. And I'll explain it because what do you, what do you mean head of the church? He, we, when I say preparing a home for believers, we say, well, I think I understand that. And then we say he's our great high priest. We'll say, well, what does he do as our great high priest? And then what does this mean? He has seated believers in the heavens. And I have in union. And we'll talk about that. Why does that fit? How does it work? And so those four things, let me give everybody just a second to get that written. Remember, if, I, if we were to go too fast tonight and you didn't get everything exactly written down, you will have my notes, the exact notes that I'm re teaching from right now, and that way you can uh, look at them and p fill it out. So let's talk about, and I think it's the top of page three. Is that where we are? 
Is that the top of page three? So let's talk about it first. He is the head of the church. That's Ephesians 1, 20 and 23. really talks about the church is the body of Christ. I don't want to mess this little chart up, but if you remember, here's the body of Christ, here, that, which is the church, but it's also the body of Christ. And when a person believes in Jesus Christ, they're placed in Christ, and they're placed in the body of Christ. And so when we start talking about it, we say he's the head of the church. And a lot of times Paul uses the analogy that we're the body and he's the head. If you remember that in the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about that. Well, what does he do as the head? Well, several things stand out. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 is great verses just for you to, to know. But what he does do as the head, he gives spiritual gifts out. Think about this, and I want to talk just for a second about this. But in Ephesians 4, 8, it says, Therefore, when he ascended on high, when did he ascend on high? Died, rose again, walked on the earth for 40 days, and then what? Ascended on high. Where is he? Seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He took people out of the, old, out of the heart of the earth, the believers from the Old Testament, and he gave gifts to men. What gifts? What Spiritual gifts. You're exactly right. Every one of you in this room, if you have believed in Christ for eternal life, and you'd say, well, I'm saved, I have eternal life, I believed in Jesus to give me eternal life. Every one of us in this room have at least one spiritual gift, at least one. And you can go to 1 Corinthians 12, you can go to Romans 12, you can go to Ephesians 4, and you can go to 1 Peter 4. That's four places in the Bible that actually list spiritual gifts. You can also come to the office or go to the website. And on the website, we have a spiritual gift inventory that you can answer questions as you, uh, all these things, and at the end, and add things up, and it'll give you a, an indication of what, we're not going to say that it's going to tell you exactly what your gift is or gifts, but it'll, it'll put you, and you'll say, you know what, that's probably me, or that's, yeah, that sounds like me, and so you can look at that. So he gave, ba basically, spiritual gifts, and notice this. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And the next verse goes on to say, for the equip the believers to do the ministry. Whose job is it to equip believers to do ministry? Every one of you. Now, my job is to equip you, and, and then your job is to equip other people. Isn't that right? And so the question we could ask each other is, who are you equipping? What are your gifts? How are you using your gifts? Where are you using your gifts? And I, I used to say, I used to say that it doesn't matter whether you know what your spiritual gifts are, just start serving and everything will work out. And I said, well, and that, that might work out, but the truth is it's ideal if you have an idea of what your gift is. Let, let's say this, if, you're, if you have the gift of teaching and you're working in the nursery, you're going you're gonna to be pretty frustrated not too long. And if, you, if they put you in a class to teach a class and you don't have the gift of teaching, you know what you're going to say after about a semester? I don't want to do this anymore. Now think about me. I have the gift of teaching, right? Do I ever want to stop teaching? Never. No, I love it. It's the greatest thing in my life. And so I'm gifted to do that, so I get to do it. If you have the gift of helps, you want to help. If you have the gift of ministration, you want to do that. If you have the gift of mercy, you're going to do that. So whatever your gifts are, when you connect and find a place to plug in, you're going to, you're going to just burn it up, and you're going to go, wow, I love this. And you'll even say, I bet everybody wishes they had this gift. 
Well, no. If, what, they like their gift. And so it, when you're serving and doing the things you want to do, it's pretty powerful. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 talks about everybody using their gifts and function. So one of the things that he does as the head of the church is he gives spiritual gifts. But the next one says, and he also gives the power to serve. In John 15, verse 4, he says, you know, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He's the strength, right? Now, we all say Holy Spirit, but let, let's think about this. Uh, is, is, is Jesus inside you? Is the Holy Spirit inside you? Is the Father inside you? Yes, they're all inside you. It's getting crowded in there, right? That's probably why our stomachs stick out is because of this. But the truth is, Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit's there. The Father's there. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It also talks about that the Father is the power. So the bottom line is, you have power from God. Jesus actually, as the head of the church, says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, you'll have strength and power. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. And so he is our strength and power and all of those things. And so the ministry and the function of the church comes when the believers, we all come together with the different gifts, talents, and abilities. And that's why sometimes people say things like, church doesn't seem to be doing that great. Well, it's because about 80 or 90% of the church doesn't do anything. You know, usually in most churches, a small group of believers do most of the ministry. And the rest of the people just come and go. And so what we need is for all the coming and goers to, to plug in and use their gifts and touch lives for Jesus Christ. Because it'll change you. The moment you begin to serve, the moment you begin to use the gifts that God's given you, your life will never be the same. Never. You'll, you'll go, gosh, I don't, I don't even know what I did up to this point. You know, that's, that's really the way it is. Okay, second thing. So the, the first thing is what he is the head of the church. The second thing is he is preparing the believers a home in heaven. He is preparing the believers a home in heaven. If you remember in John 14, it was right before Jesus left, and they, they were all sad. And he said, no, let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then he said, and my father says there are many rooms. People have always historically said mansions. I think the old King James said mansions. The word really means nest. It's different places to, to dwell. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not that way, I would have told you. You know why he says father's house and rooms? Because he's, he's the bride. I mean, he's the, he's the groom and we're the bride. And when a Jewish person got ready to marry in that day and time and she said yes... He said, I'm going back to my father's house, and I will build on a room for us. See, he didn't go get their own place. They went back to their father's house, his father's house, and they lived there. Jesus looks at them and says, listen, I'm the groom, you're the bride. In my father's house, there are a lot of rooms. If it wasn't that way, I told you, I'm going to go do what? Prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again, and will make, will take you to myself, so where I am, you'll be also. What's he doing while he's sitting up there in heaven? He's building a place for us. A place. You know what that place is? You ever thought about what that place is? He says, he says I'm, I'm, while seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, he's preparing a place. This place, whoops, uh, this place is called the New Jerusalem. And we'll get to it in Revelation 21. Jesus, uh, uh, John said, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Who's the bride? 
We are. Who's the husband? Jesus. In his father's house, there are many what? Rooms. He's got the room ready. You know what this room is called? It's called the New Jerusalem, and it's gigantic. Anybody know how big it is? It's, it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high. One building. It comes down out of heaven. He makes a new heavens and a new earth. We'll talk about that over here. And this big city comes down, and it's got a lot of rooms in it. That's what he's preparing for us. And so we'll all get to be together, be at parties all the time. It'll be great. We'll just, it'll be so much fun. Okay, the third thing, the third thing that what he's doing while he's in heaven is this. He is our great high priest. That's who he is. He's our great high priest. He's doing the ministry. This is what uh, he's doing for us. And, and we can realize this, that he's the mediator. In fact, Hebrews 9.24 says, for Christ, you remember this? We, we talked about it several weeks ago. For Christ did not enter a holy place made by hands. What's that? That's the earthly what? Tabernacle. But a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is our mediator. Where did Jesus go? He went into a temple in the heavens. The one on the earth is a copy. The one that the Jewish people built and that they had called the tabernacle and later the temple. It was a copy of the one in heaven. And so Jesus, our great high priest, he is in the presence of God. That's what he's doing. He's in the presence of God. Look at this right here, 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one mediator between God and men. It is the man Jesus Christ. Actually, I think it says the man Christ Jesus. But, but we just typed it in. We didn't type the exact verse in. But it's one mediator between God and men. It is the man Christ Jesus. There's a mediator. How can he be our mediator? How can he be the mediator? Mediator's got to be the what? The go-between, right? How can he be our mediator? Okay, he did. But to mediator between God and men, he is both what? God and man. That's why there, there's one mediator between God and man. It is the man, man, and then Jesus Christ. And Jesus means Savior, and Christ means the anointed one of God. So he's saying there's one mediator between God and men. He's the man who is also God. That's the mediator, and that's who he is. And so it's just, you know, powerful, powerful truths. Uh, look at this right here. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Remember, he's our great high priest. Let's draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let's, let's, go, let's go forward as, as much as we can and, and know that he gives grace and mercy. Now, here's two things. We've talked about this many times. I want to remind you of this. Okay, as our great high priest, as our mediator, he does two things, okay? A, he is our intercessor. That's A down at the bottom of page 3. He's our intercessor. He lives forever to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, he lives forever to make intercession. And, I mean, that's what he does. Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your what? Request be made known. He is our intercessor. That means you can come to God about anything. Am I right? Who's going to be your mediator when you come to God in prayer? Jesus is. He's your intercessor. He's the, he lives forever to make intercession for you. You come with a prayer request, and Jesus says, I'll take that to the Father. You understand? That's what he does. He's your mediator. You can say, oh, Heavenly Father, we pray to the Father, but we pray in the name of the Son. And when we give our prayer request, Jesus is the mediator who lives forever to make intercession for us. That's why he says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. 
You can pray about anything. You can take anything to God, anytime, place, anywhere, about anything. We bring our petitions to God. That's what we do. In fact, if you look at the top of page 4 in Hebrews 4, it says, We have a great high priest who's gone before us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to find what? Grace and mercy. Now, they go together. But I want you to notice one thing real quickly is that he says, We can come boldly to the throne of grace. How can you come boldly to God? Because you have Jesus. He's right. He's there. And that you can find what? Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Or mercy and grace. And that's what Hebrews 4.16 says. Let's therefore draw from here with confidence to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. So what does he do for us while he's sitting up there? While he's, while he's in the heavenlies, while he's preparing a place, what is he doing? He's making what? intercession for us but there's more because not only is our intercessor b he's our advocate you we've talked about this before an advocate means a defense attorney you need an attorney <laughs> look what it says john first john and first john john writes and says my little children was he calling us little children you go i'm not a little child yes you are yes you are okay my little children i'm writing these things to you so that you may not what Sin. What if he looked at all of us and said, Here's my plan for y'all, don't sin. But if anyone might sin, third person there, maybe you will, maybe you won't. If anyone sins, we have a what? An advocate. It's the Greek word parabalo. Para means beside, and balo means to throw. It means one who's beside, come across, come beside, call below. And so he says, I'm writing this thing that, that you have this advocate, this paraclete, this one who's come beside with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's there. So when you have prayer requests, he's your intercessor. When you sin, he's your what? Advocate. And look at this right here. For if we confess our sins, if we tell ourselves he's faithful and just to forgive us, and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I should have put the whole verse up there because it's so good. And we have, we have, uh, uh, we're to confess our sin. We confess. We tell on ourselves. It's powerful. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. He is our advocate. My little children, don't sin. But if you sin, he's faithful and just. He's the one who stands before us. By the way, let me just throw this out. We know this. Confession does not mean feel sorry. You may feel sorry. That's not what the word means. Uh, confession doesn't even say, mean to ask for forgiveness. Although it's okay to ask for forgiveness. Confession means to what? Tell on yourself. So you admit, you, you say that this is a sin. And you say that this is wrong. We tell on ourselves. 1 John 1, 9. Okay, look at this. We, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we're in fellowship with God, Jesus Christ's blood has cleansed everything. Okay, so what have we seen? What are the three things we've seen so far? If you've got your little notes, what are they? Uh, as far as what, what his position. He's in the heavenlies. He's our high priest. He is our making the advocates of. And then here's the fourth thing. He seated believers in the heavens. He seated believers in the heavens. Now we all know this. That the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. You're placed where? In Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be, what? In Christ, he's a new creation. So the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you're placed in Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know people, y'all have heard all your life, baptism of the Holy Spirit has something to do with spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues. It does not. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you are placed in union with Jesus Christ. Just go look at the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So the moment you're placed in there. Now, where is he right now? Where are you, since you're now in Christ? So he seated believers in the heavenly places. Look at this verse right here. He has raised us up, how? With him, seated us where? With him, where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. We got a good seat, don't we? You know, you ever want to go to a sporting event, and you don't know if you're going to have a good seat or not, and you can see well or not. Where are you seated right now? You're seated at the right hand of the Father. That's hard to imagine. We are in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. So, so amazing. And uh, so, we are in Christ in the heavenly places. So, think about this. Uh, sort of a, a little review. His ministry in heaven, okay? He's the head of the church, which is the authority with gifting and empowering. He's preparing us a home. This is just a review. He is our great high priest, the mediator, intercessor, and advocate. And he has raised us up in the heavens with him. So where is Jesus right now? Right hand of the Father. What's, what's he doing in the heavens? He's the authority, giving and empowering, preparing a home, is the mediator, and raises us up with him. That, he's pretty busy, right? What's he waiting for? He's waiting for the Father to say it's time to go. Do you know that uh, in the Jewish culture, when the guy said to his bride, I'm going to go prepare a place for you when I get it ready, I'll come back and get you. You know when he was, knew it was ready? When the father said, looks like you've got it done, go get your bride. He says, one of these days, I'm going to come get you. And that's really a great thing. Okay, we've seen his work in the heavens. What about on earth? Well, here's the three things we see here. And we'll put it together. What has he done on earth? Well, first of all, he indwells in every believer. This is what he's doing now. He gives power to live. We talked about that a little bit, but that's from the heaven, but we're going to see it here. And then he holds all things together. So we'll see those, those three things, and we'll see how that goes. Now, as I said, we're not going into the same detail we might go if this was the only lesson. So you have my notes. You have, you'll have them. You already have them if you hadn't printed them off. If you haven't got them, make sure that, I let you, that you let me know, and we'll email them to you again and make sure you have them. But you can be able to fill in all kind of things and maybe little things that I might not have said. So let's, let's talk about it. He indwells every believer. He gives us power to live, and he holds all things together. So let's talk about it. He indwells every believer. Now, most of us say, no, 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 the Holy Spirit. What, do you not know? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So we always say, who comes to live inside of us the moment we believe? Holy Spirit. But do you realize that Jesus also lives in us? He said, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's talking to the saints, talking to the disciples. He's in us. He's inside every believer. And so as I said a while ago, the, Jesus is inside of us, the Holy Spirit's inside of us, and the Father's inside of us. And, I mean, it's an incredible thing that, that 
you, you know, we, we think about like going through life, and we sometimes go through life as if we're by ourselves, and that nobody cares. Who lives in you? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in you. And He indwells every believer. And uh, He's there. Uh, look at this right here. Whoops. I didn't, I didn't put this verse down. Listen to this. Hebrews 13.5. Just You can just write Hebrews 13.5. You can look at it later. It says this. Uh, he says, uh, Be content with what you have. For He says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He's always with you. When you're by yourself, He's with you. When you're with a whole bunch of people with, with you, if you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with you. You're never going to be away from Him. Never. Because He's in you. Okay? The second thing is, He gives us the power to live. Now, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but Philippians 4.13 says, I can do what? I can do what? All things through... A lot of people quote it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The verse actually says in the original language, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. If you look in the flow of the passage, it's talking about Jesus. So most likely it's okay to say, I can do all things through the one who strengthens us. But he has sent to us the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember... <clears throat> let me take just a second to do this. you remember the last night? He's sitting there and he tells them in, in uh, John 14, Don't let your heart be troubled. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, then my father's house in many rooms. And then he says to them, I'm going away. And they get all upset. And he says, no, 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 you, you should be glad that I'm going away. Because when I'm going away, I am sending you who? The Holy Spirit. I'm saying, and he's going to be, he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they haven't believed righteousness because I go to the Father. Judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. So he says, listen, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Look at this right here. Since, therefore, since he has been exalted. Now, who is the one that's exalted at the right hand of God? Didn't we see earlier tonight he's the exalted one, right? And since he has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received, has received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. Do you know what he's saying? On the day of Pentecost, when the believers all of a sudden could speak these different languages, and they stand up there and they start speaking these languages, and all these people gather up, and it's this giant crowd out there, and they're all saying, what's going on with these people? How can we hear them speak our language, all these different dialects and languages? And some people started saying, they're just drunk, and it's just a bunch of noise. And Peter stands up and said, no, 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 no. Jesus has died and risen again. He's, he's at the exalted right hand of the Father. He has received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and He has poured out this, the Holy Spirit, which you see and hear. You see the power, you hear the message. So Peter actually stands up and says, this is the Holy Spirit given to us from Jesus. And that's why I said He gives us the power. Look at this right here. But I tell you the truth, the steward advantage is that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's the helper? Who's the Holy Spirit? So that's what he does. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that little blank right down there, it says, We live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That John 16, 7 is right after that, just in case if you missed it. But we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians five sixteen, Walk by the Spirit. Uh, I don't know if I have it. Yeah, I do. We can live in God's power. The Holy Spirit's in us. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. So, what's He done for us? Uh, he indwells every believer. He's given us the power to live. Pretty impressive. 
And there's one other thing that he does on the earth. And it may surprise you, but not. He holds everything together. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. When I was in school, now they, when I was in school, they talked about atoms and things inside atoms. And they t- now I know that, uh, I've, I've been out of school a long time, they've found things that are a lot smaller than atoms and a lot smaller than the things that are smaller than the things that are smaller than the things that are atoms, right? I mean, it just gets smaller and smaller. And one of the things I remember when I first was in science and things, they talked about how this world and atoms and everything, instead of just flying out, for some reason, they all held together. Who holds them together? I mean, let's, let's face it. What, what holds this world together? I mean, the thing is spinning around, and the whole universe is spinning around, and there's this gravity thing, and then you look inside, and the cells and the things. What holds everything together? He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He runs the world. You know, when we say, what's he doing? We would say what he's doing up there, but what is he doing down here? He's holding everything together. And so it's all-powerful. He's not only the creator, but the one that holds things together. The world and its perfect design. The sun, the moon, the stars, the orbit, the oxygen. Have you ever had scientists talk about why is there life on this planet? Now, I'm not talking about believing scientists, but people who say, why is there life on this planet? And they say, well, what we find out is it just so happens that all these other planets, where they, they don't, they won't, but the earth is just right and it has just this oxygen thing, and it's just the exact right distance from the sun, and it's got this gravitational pull thing, and it has this tilt into this axis, and they start talking about all this stuff, and they go, it's just so amazing, but it seems to be about the only thing that made life be able to exist, it just was perfect for that. I wonder why. Have you ever thought about that? This perfect world? And when I see people who say, I mean, who don't understand the creation and the power of God, and they want to talk about millions and millions of years, and I was like, look, listen, something doesn't come from, you know, from nothing unless there's a creator, there's one who speaks it into being. And, you know, they all want to say, well, there was this Big Bang, and there was these things. I said, but where did the Big Bang stuff come from? If there is a Big Bang stuff. I mean, it always goes back, has to be something. So what's his ministry? On earth, he indwells every believer. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He gives power to serve, and he holds everything together. So let's kind of have a, let me get over here. Let's have a, a little review, and that is the ministry of Christ. Where is he and what he's doing? Where is he? Where is he? He's in the heavenly places, seat at the right hand of God. What is he doing? In heaven, he's the head of the church. He's preparing us a place. He acts as our great high priest, and he's the intercessor and advocate. What's he doing on earth? What does he do? He indwells, he gives power, and he holds all things together. Okay, that's a lesson, and we did it pretty good, didn't we? We didn't go in gigantic detail. It would have been a lot more detail if we would have had to, but let's, let's look at this. Here's some, here's some questions. I, I, she said, just let it keep running. He'll just change it out. Uh, let's talk about this. And, and you don't, if you don't want to write this down now, you'll have it in the notes, okay? But notice what it says. Jesus ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, highly exalted with a name above every name. That's what we saw. He is preparing us a place, a city called the New Jerusalem. He is the head of the church as he empowers us and gives us gifts. He is our great high priest who makes intercession and is our advocate when we sin. 
And Jesus indwells every believer, giving us the Holy Spirit and holding all things together. In those five statements, we basically put together the whole lesson.